Through Their Mother's Eyes is a series of conversations with mothers who share their hearts and experiences raising black sons who, because of the color of their skin, are often feared, hated, and not valued as human beings. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Through Their Mother's Eyes. We are having real conversations with real moms of real black sons so that they can share with us their experience raising young black men in a time, in a country, in a world that is afraid of them because of the color of their skin and that doesn't, that doesn't value their lives. I'm Florence, and I am here with Carla. Carla, why don't you say hi to the people? Hi, everyone. Happy to be back. Great, thank you. And I am so excited. So this is where you get to see where I actually show some emotion. So <laughs> excited to have my, I don't know if I can say ace boom coon, because I don't know if people will get that or think that I'm being racist. So I am here with my dear, dear friend, Erica Harrison. And she is, uh, anyway, welcome Erica. Thank you so much for joining us. Good evening, everyone. And I am very happy to be here and share my story. Thank you, great. And so what I'm gonna do is I'll turn it over to you, Carla, and you can, I know Carla's got some questions for you cause she's all young and stuff. So I'm gonna let her ask the first question. Go ahead. Erica, I'm so happy that we're talking and that you took the time out of your busy schedule to um, talk to us. I just, um, Florence told me a lot about you, but she has left out a lot of details. And I was wondering if you can tell um, me and the listener a little bit about your, about your background and uh, where you grew up and stuff like that. Okay, wow. It, that's, it's a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I born and raised in Chicago. I am married. I married my college sweetheart. Um, we have four children, two boys, two girls. Um, oldest girl, she's 26, and she just graduated from Emory University as a nurse. We're super, super proud. Um, two boys are 16 and 13, and our baby girl is 10 years old. And it's not a baby, but my baby. <laughs> so uh, my husband and I, we're both uh, from Chicago. We met at um, Western Illinois University. Um, in Illinois, and we moved to Atlanta 18 years ago. So we've been here for 18 years in Atlanta um, and love it. Um, built our life down here um, with the family and um, my background when we were living in Chicago, I worked in the pharmaceutical industry, um, more on the clinical side. Um, my passion then was to go to pharmacy school, never made it to pharmacy school because I started having kids and um, all that good stuff. So things got really, really busy, but I did finish my education. I do have an MBA degree, all while supporting my husband. He played 15 years in the NFL. He played nine years in San Diego um, and six years with New England Patriots. Um, so you can imagine um, how busy uh, we were for a very, very long time. Um, he retired about 10 years ago and he's been with um, no, 12 years ago. He's been with NBC 
for the past 12 years. So he went segued right into broadcasting. And um, I mean, life has been been great. I mean, I can't complain. It's been busy with four kids, um, raising two boys and, and two girls. But um, I can't say there's a, a disparity in raising boys versus uh, girls in this world, especially being Black. So um, it's been quite a journey, um, very eye-opening for us, um, to say the least, because, you know, when you're first having kids and, you know, you think, you know, everything is beautiful. Everybody in the world looks at your child like your child is beautiful. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to digest, but I'm sure we will get into the meat of that. So you just wanted me to introduce myself at first. Yes. No, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. That's, that's wonderful. I, I didn't know that part about your husband. Um, just a quick question. Do you feel that when he was in the NFL, he had, of course, you know, you're, you're always the color that you are, but do you feel like he had any preferential treatment or was that as soon as he left the NFL, did things change with him or in your boys? Um, of course he had, um, you know, the, the NFL treatment, especially living in Boston, you know, as you know, Boston can be, um, very segregated. Um, well, it's Chicago too, but he played, you know, in Boston, he played in San Diego and, um, even now him being on TV, uh, for the past 12 years on one of the, you know, number one show on NBC, um, he still gets that treatment. Um, so it never really went away. It was more, of course, magnified when we lived in Boston. Um, but it's funny because he got the treatment. I got the treatment if I was with him. If I wasn't with him and they didn't wow. know who I, who I was, I didn't get that treatment. So it was, it was a big difference. Big, big wow, that's really, really interesting. I, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry that that happened, but just goes to show like where where our society places value. Absolutely. Yeah, that is. Uh, you're right, Erica. There is a there there is a, a difference between you know there, there's a difference in how people are treated, but ultimately the color of your skin is black and that is that is the first thing people see. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've had a lot, there's been a lot going on, right? So there's a pandemic, we don't wanna not acknowledge that. There's right. a pandemic out there and people are, you know, we're here in Florida where I believe they said today that the infection rate has gone to apocalyptic proportions in Florida. I don't, That's insane. I, I don't know that I would say that, but it is, it is bad enough. But there's also the very real, elephant it's been an elephant in the room forever and now it's kind of just sitting on on everybody and that is the question of of race racial inequity and inequality in this country specifically and specifically having to do with black people and i know that you've heard a lot of this stuff and you've had conversations and you've seen things and you've seen social media posts and and and, and seen protests etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm -hmm. I just want you to tell me first, if you could think of one word that would sum up how you feel about all of this right now, what would that word be? Um, one word, that's all I get. One word, well for this, <laughs> yes, one word. Uh, one word and then you can elaborate. <laughs> angry. Angry. Yep. Mm-hmm. I have heard and I have felt a lot of that 
So tell, so explain, explain a little bit about that anger. The anger goes on many different levels. Um, Angry because my people are still being devalued in society. Angry that we're still here in 2020. Um, Angry that my people have to walk around afraid. Um, Angry that we just have not gotten paid, I I do just in, in so long. Um, but at the same time, that anger does turn into hope, hope. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that because now I feel like we're in a, we're in a shift. Now we're in a shift. So now I can channel that anger into a different emotion where now we can have some impact. You know, we can get what we, what we want, what we need. And it's so well overdue. I mean, it's so deep rooted. It's, it's, it's mind boggling, to be honest with you. And it makes me angry that my children have to, say, have to see this. They have to live through this. Like it was one point I was almost apologizing to them for bringing them into this because they don't deserve it. They deserve a whole lot more than this. You know, so the anger, it it sits on different levels. Yeah, that's, that's good. I, I, like I said, I I can relate to the anger. I've heard a lot about the anger. We've all seen the, you know, the, the level of the anger and whatever degree we we feel of anger Mm -hmm. or we witness of the anger. I love the fact that you said in, in describing your anger, you said that, that there's hope there, which Mm -hmm is really something that for so long there hasn't been or every little glimmer of hope has been you know has been has been extinguished mm-hmm. so i i love that you brought that in there that's 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 wonderful i i know that and, and like you said you grew up in chicago right and we hear about chicago and the challenges in Chicago, the environment in Chicago didn't start this year. It didn't start even this, you know, this century. Mm-hmm. So growing up in, in Chicago, how aware were you of the plight that black people, but specifically black males face in, in this country? Growing up, I guess, my parents didn't talk a whole lot about um, what black men face in this country. And I don't know if it's because it was just me and my sister. I didn't have a brother, you know, so my mother doesn't, my mother doesn't understand how my heart feels because I have two boys and she doesn't, she's never had a, a son, you know, so but I do, I do know growing up in Chicago, Chicago segregated. You know, so I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and we also had a home on, in the south suburbs of, of Chicago, south suburbs of Chicago, where um, we had our home. We were one of two black families in our neighborhood. Um, so I hit racism very young. 
I was like, you know, maybe five, six years old, um, being called the N-word, um, you know, by a, a boy who lived two doors down from me, you know, so um, I came into contact with racism that early on and had to deal with it the way I needed to deal with, I guess, the way my parents told me how to deal with it. You know, back then it was like, you know, you get into a fight, don't come home beat up. So <laughs> it was one of those. <laughs> I had those kind of parents. So, <laughs> but, um, you know, it was almost like, in a sense, I guess, what I got from my parents, that this was just how society was. This is just how it is being Black. You're going to come across, you know, racism. You're going to be called the N-word. You're going to be basically disregarded. Um, but I, I, they probably didn't give me the tools, the right tools to deal with it, the way I'm, I'm trying to give my kids the tools to deal with it. Um, but it, it was there. It was there in Chicago. You know, it was it's a segregated city. So for, for the audience, we're going to take a step back real quick because we are, we are going to not everybody's going to understand what you said about don't come home beat up. <laughs> so <laughs> just tell us what, tell us what you, what your parents meant when they said, don't come home beat up. That, that was more my dad. My dad was the one, you know, you get to a fight out there, you know, you better handle your business. Don't, don't come home you beat up. You, you better have won that fight or you're going to get trolled by me. So, you know, it was that mentality. It was like that, you know, you know, go big or go home. So yeah. that's, that's what I had to ride with. You know, my, my dad was very prideful when it came to that. So he was like, you're not, you know, you, I'm not raising a, a chicken, you know, you're going to have to level up and hold your own. And it's, and it's funny that your dad said that because I have a, another friend who's going to be joining us. I think the, I don't know, in a couple of weeks, she's, she's going to be our guest. And her mother, her mother would make her, she didn't grow up in the white suburbs. Okay. So she grew up in Philly. She grew up in South Philly. So no West Philly. Sorry. So she, her mother would lock the door and say, you cannot come in here and let those girls think you a punk. You need to go out there and find and her mother. Her mother locked her out one day and she oh, just, no. she just had to fight. I was like, okay, well, all right, so let's go back to what we were talking about. So, so you, so you grew up, and like you said, your mother, and, and it's interesting that you said that. So we're having this conversation because you are the mother of Black sons, and we are aware that there is a difference. So being the mother of Black daughters, you still have, you know, there are still challenges, there are still concerns, but it is a completely different story when you're talking about raising black sons. So if you were to go back, so Christian is what? So he's 16, right? 16. Mm -hmm. So if you were to go back 16 years or maybe even 18 years, if you were to go back and based on what you know now, give your younger self some advice about having black sons, what would that be? I would have asked the scientist to see if he could spin my jeans. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that's that. I think about that. Um, it's it's really hurtful, honestly, to even. It's like, gosh, wow! Like th we're here. This is this is what I have to deal with on a daily. 
So if I take myself back to 18 years prior, knowing what I know now, um, hmm, I probably would have, I probably would have prepared my son uh, probably a little earlier. Um, now I feel like I have to, I'm telling him everything now. So, you know, so quickly then piecing it from, you know, if I would have started then, where, what kind of black male would he, would he be now today? You know, I think I coddled him. I coddled him. And I know it's, it's, it's hard to say when you're going to talk to your sons about how the world sees them. You know, that's, that's, a, that's hard to do because honestly, you got to talk to them really early. You can't wait till they're 15, 16 when they're about to drive and things like that. You have to start early, like as, I hate to say it, as early as five years old and let them know how the world sees them. Earlier, you had mentioned that you were um, apologizing a lot to your kids. Um, what, it, what well, is I, one thing that you, you think that you're apologizing now? Um, probably apologizing that I probably didn't explain to them how the world really sees them. You know, um, I wish I would have done it sooner. Um, because I think right now it's such, it's so heavy. It's so much, you know, when they turn on the TV, they're seeing all these, these black men being killed every week by a police officer. You know, when my kids were came into this world, Obama was our president. So when they came in, you know, they came in, that's all they knew. Like our president's black. That was nothing to them. Well, it was a whole lot to us. They're like, well, what do you mean? Our president, like he's the first one. They couldn't believe it. I'm like, yeah, first one. You know, so now you fast forward to here and they're like, wow, they really hate us. I'm like, I'm sorry. So part of that, and, th and that is so significant, right? So, you know, you, you know, my kids, your, your husband taught Jacques how to swim by throwing him in the middle of a lake. Uh, so you know my kids for a long time, <laughs> so, which I will, I, I have to, every time I think of that, I'm like, thank God for Rodney. Cause seriously. He's a great swimmer though, isn't he? He, no, not necessarily. Um, Sebastian's a great swimmer because I think he decided I'm not letting nobody punk me like that. So <laughs> I'm going to learn how to swim better than this dude. Right. So, um, he, but he is, yeah, he got over the, the fear. The, there was that fear that he would, ah, and then Rodney, you know, they were just like, Shh. and that was it. He had to sink or literally swim. Uh, so you've, you've known them and you know about me that I have, you know, I've been aware, I've had this on my heart since I was little, the, the, the plight of black men and, and what it means to have black sons, et cetera. And, and I have been talking with them since they were little and having conversations with them. The, the apology, you want to apologize for your kids, to your kids because they're your kids and you want to give them you know, we, we want to give our children everything mm -hmm. and we want to prepare them. And we know that we're human and we, we make mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. But still we look at some things and we say, yeah, but I could have done that better for my child. But I am here to tell you that, that 
there, there are two schools of thought on this. There's the, the, the people who used to say to me, yeah, but you're putting too much on them. You're putting too much on them. They know. And the way I was talking to them about it wasn't, oh, everybody hates you and you have to. It was just realistically when you're in the car with mommy, if mommy gets pulled over, don't, you know, keep your hands visible, whatever. And doing things like that with them and saying things, and I remember something happened in when I lived when I lived in the hood with you guys in Georgia. They uh, something happened, and I said to Jacques, I said, "You need to watch out because your friends can do these, you know, this and that and the other thing, and the one who's going to get caught and get in trouble for it is you." And I didn't say, you know, and again, it wasn't telling him that there's anything wrong with you. It's this is the perception. You have to be aware of it so you can manage it and so that you can, you know, so you can handle it. But still, they're still affected by what's going on now. They, they, you know, they're still, and he's still an 18 year old. He's like, mom, I'll be fine. I drive really well. I'm like, that's not the point. You know, it's not about how you drive. So yeah. So I, but hearing you say that you apologize, you know, we should never, we should never have to apologize to our children for their existence in, or for being uh, responsible for their existence in this world. We should never have to do that. And the fact that we do is a source of anger for me. That's, that's a, a, part, of, mm-hmm. a part of my anger. Mm-hmm. So, and I guess my apology is, is more, it's not about apologizing for being black. I mean, that's, no, no, it's, it's just apologizing for the world that we live in. Like, this is like, really, we're still here and, and it's worse. Like, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit much. Like my mom was like, I've never, I've never dealt with illness. She, and she was, you know, she was born in the forties. You know, so she's like, this is insane. You know, and I just, I'm just so, you know, angry because it's like, this is the world that we are giving to our, our kids. They don't deserve this. They don't deserve this at all. It's worse than when we, when we were born. So how do we advise them? Yeah, what do we do? What, what do we do to... Because we can't, you know. It's not enough. It's not enough. Telling them how to drive, that's not enough. They can be walking down the street. It's not enough. No, it doesn't matter. Because people people see the color of it. The issue is if the color of your skin and your gender and gender fear in people, then it doesn't matter how you're, it doesn't matter what you're wearing. You can't see that the backs of my, that the back of my pants aren't sagging if you're looking at me head on and you see that I'm black. And it doesn't matter if my pants are sagging anyway because you don't really care about how I'm dressed. You don't care how I'm dressed. You don't care what, um, what family I come from. All you see is one thing. And that's the scary part. That's the scary part. Yep. This is where I really, I'm sorry, Florence. This is where I really, really want other moms to, to listen to this, no matter what color their sons are. I want them to know that you guys are going through this and for them to also prepare their sons to say, hey, you see something, you say something about it and you stand up for other people because that's where we need to use our privilege 
um, I mean, I'm, I'm a Latina, but yeah, whatever, <laughs> we're in South Florida, but, um, you know, white moms, anybody who has that privilege needs to say something. Absolutely. This is ridiculous and it's heartbreaking. And I'm, and I'm so sorry that this is the world that your children live in. Yeah. Thank you, Carla. The, so when, when, and yeah, the, it's, it's an apology for the, the world, obviously, because I would not trade my children for anything. I mean, and, and I will cut a bitch for my children. That part. Um, and you know, Erica, I don't know how to fight, but I will cut <laughs> a bitch for my children. <laughs> just, Absolutely. So, yeah. And so I, and, and even with the boys, so I love your hair, by the way, I keep, I'm staring at your hair. I'm like, I need, to do, I need to go and get my hair done. Uh, but my kid, the boys, both boys now have protective hairstyles. So Sebastian wants to, he's locking his hair Good. and Jacques is, is, is wearing twists. Okay. And they both, you know, be, being raised by parents. And on my part, it was that, Hey, I don't want you to be singled out. You know, I want you to have that short cropped hair like your dad does. I want you to, and in my mind, it was somehow that is, it's like the opposite of the protective hairstyles. The short cropped hairstyle will protect you from racism, from discrimination, from whatever. And even though I, I knew deep down that, that it's not about that. It's not about your hair or what you're wearing. It's not about, you know, for the longest time I thought, well, you know, I speak a certain way. I, you know, people, people, it, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. does not matter. It is about the, it is about the, the color of your skin. It is about the fact that you're male. It is about the fear. And when you talked about Christian, not, you know, not knowing certain things at when he was younger and you didn't say certain things to him, but think about the schools that our kids go to and the history that it's taught for Christian to wake up at the age of 17 and say, they hate us that much. Well, the school system doesn't. Well, doesn't you know the school that my kids go to. Yeah. Um, it's one of the prominent private schools in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's two campuses, but the first campus that they were on, um, and this is this was actually the turning point in when I started talking to Christian. Christian had to be about probably in third or fourth grade, and the assignment was to, and it was I guess it was when was that? Is it, it was around Rosh Hashanah, somewhere up in there where, you know, we're celebrating everybody's um, culture. And the teacher wanted the class to um, write about where their parents, where their family's from, you know. So, you know, you know, how, you know where this is going. So he comes home with the assignment and I'm like, ah, okay. What I know, I said, you know, your mom's side is blah from here, blah blah blah. You know, New Orleans, da, 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 Alabama, Georgia. Your dad's side from North Carolina, Mississippi, da, da da da. So he does all that, you know, turns it in. Teacher tells him, "You did the assignment wrong." And he's like, "What do you mean? We need to know where, you know, your family's from." So I'm like, did she not, she can't read. I'm like, I'm not understanding. So I had him write it again. 
So then she ended up emailing me and she said, well, I had Christian uh, doing an assignment, assignments, this is net. And he said, this is where, and I said, this is all I know. I said, now, if you want to go a little further, I said, when you ask a black person where they're from, I said, do you understand, understand how complicated that gets? I said, because we don't, we don't, we can only guess. And, and I probably, and what I said, I probably shouldn't have said, but I said, I said, why don't you ask your people to tell me where we're from? Then I can give you a better answer. But from, from now on, this is where we're from. So grade the paper accordingly, and it better not be a bad grade. And when I emailed her back, I CC'd the principal on it. I CC'd the assistant principal, and I even CC'd my mother on it. Because I wanted everybody to see that you were pushing the envelope and trying to make my child tell you where. And I said, and I'm not going to just say, because you want me to say that my, you want my child to say we're from Africa. That's what you want us to say. I said, but I'm not going to give you that. I said, because I really don't know. And until I find out, this is, this, this, this is the answer. And you're going to have to accept it. And it was from that point on where I knew, I said, you know what? I'm going to have to better prepare him. What grade did he get? Mm-hmm. Carla wants Erica. to know what grade he got. Huh? Carla wants to know what grade he ended up getting. Oh, it was probably like an A minus or something like that. I mean, you know, what could she do at that point? Because I CC'd the whole school and my mother on it. So what could she do? She couldn't do anything, you know. And she probably gave my A minus probably because his handwriting was sloppy or something. I don't know. But at that point, that's when I knew I had to prepare him. And as he went on to the main campus, which is the bigger campus here, then that's when the whole world kind of opens up. It's more diverse, um, but it's a whole different ball game. Um, you still have old teachers that have been there for 38 plus years who are used to seeing the school all white. Now it's, you know, basically 48% black. So, you know, that's a whole different ball field. So when he stepped on foot on that campus, seventh grade, it was seventh grade. That's when the conversations started going and flowing. I'm like, this is happening because of this. This is that. And I'm very raw with my kids. I'm very, very raw with them. Um, so, you know, since then, now Christian, he totally gets it. I think where we at now and what we've been seeing in the past several weeks, He's like, wow. And I'm like, yeah. I said, all those conversations we had up until now, now, now it's a whole different ball field, whole different ball game. I said, it's deeper than what it was several years ago on the surface level. I said, because we didn't know. Now all this stuff is coming to surface because of social media exposure. Now it's, it's, it's been happening for a long time, but it wasn't being put out there. Now it's all out there. Yeah, that's uh, that that story, and it's it's funny when you think about uh, there's a there's a podcast that Carla turned me on to. I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a link to it, and it's very interesting what what you're talking about with the schools and everything. And I know growing up, my parents, you know, they put me in schools to get the best education, and and the, 
you know, you can put your kids in the best schools and people still don't know how to deal with them. And, and like you said, the fact that that is still the case now is, and, and I remember li living in Georgia that, I mean, the diversity in Duluth was, I was in heaven. I was like 33% this, 33, you know, it was great. But still you're talking about, you know, you're talking about the deep South. You're talking about a lot of people who, mm -hmm. who, yearn for days gone by and whereas they may not hate you for being black the days gone by they're yearning for are the days when your people who look like you and your ancestors if you're from this country were in shackles and so the days gone by were built on the backs of our people you know and so it's in in the history that they're learning in school just isn't you know now everybody knows about juneteenth yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think too, it's kind of been almost in some situations kind of a double edged sword with their dad being who he is. Um, so not only, you know, you got my sons, they're black, but then their dad is a, you know, pro athlete and, you know, on TV, NBC. So now they want to prove another point. Oh, we're not going to let this kid, we're not going to start this kid because, you know, you know, it's like a double-edged sword. Oh, his dad, and he probably expects for his son to start this, this, and that. So you'll bench my kid, knowing that he's one of the starters, but you're trying to prove a point because you're just a hater. You know, you're mad because he's black and he's talented. You know, so sometimes we get it twice, you know, in those situations. You know, so that, that can be hurtful, too, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have one more question for you, and then Carla's going to hit you with the speed round. So, oh. <laughs> prepare yourself. <laughs> so, okay. So, again, we've been hearing a lot about this stuff, right? And and it uh, lately, especially about the, the the situation. So, and you know that this podcast is meant to to help other people, other moms, other people see it from the perspective of, of moms of black sons mm -hmm. and, and possibly hear our hearts in it and, you know, relate to us at that level as parents, as, as people who love our, our children, our family members, et cetera. And I asked you, I asked you about what word you would use to describe your, your, your feelings about all of this. I'm going to ask you another thing. So, you know, when you get on an elevator, so real quick, somebody got on the elevator with me today when I was leaving the chiropractor's office. Mm -hmm. It was audible, my, oh, because I was just wait. I wanted the door to close and I heard a door open down the hall and I'm like, oh no. And anyway, so anyway, let's say you're on an elevator and it's not COVID-19 time mm -hmm. and you have the, what, 20 or 30 seconds on the elevator to help somebody on the elevator with you understand somebody who doesn't know what they can do to help them understand what they might be able to do to help with this. What would you say to them? Oh gosh, that's not enough time. I know that's not enough time to, I mean, here's the thing. I see I, I'm, I'm partial because I feel like I shouldn't have to educate you. I feel like that's your job. That's your responsibility. I've endured enough. You go educate yourself. Find the resources you need to do. 
in order to change your heart, change it. If you want to be a better person, what are you going to do? Are you going to ask somebody to tell you? No, you're going to do what you need to do to become a better person, period. You can't teach anyone to become a better person. They have to want to become a better person. And it's not for the movement. You know, it's for, for, your, for your fate that you need to become a better person. You can't, tell, you can't tell somebody how to become a better person. You know, educate yourself. So at the same time, you want me to, first of all, I'm trying to find out who I am, my ancestors. So I got to indulge in that. And at the same time, educate you? No, you need to educate, educate yourself and you need to find a way to be a better person in this society. I'm not going to do that for you. Yep. And um, if the wrong person asked you the question or caught you on the wrong day, you would say, educate your damn self. Oh, girl. Educate your dammy. Yeah. All right. It may be worse than that. <laughs> I know. All right. Carla, she is prepped and ready for the speed round. I am. I am. And I do want to just preface this with... Um, there is a lot of ignorance in this world um, and a lot of people do have to do a lot of um, education and um, look into the history of this country. Um, so I'm about to get into the speed round. I'm going to say uh, some statements and some questions. I just want to get your gut reaction to them. Before I get into it though, I do want to let you know that these questions and statements that our hosts have gathered are some things that we have heard over the years. And your response might be very impactful and insightful for a lot of our listeners. All right, first one, speed round. Ready? Okay. All lives matter. They do, but at this time, Black lives matter. Yes, ma'am. More Black babies die in abortion clinics than at the hands of the police. Who said that? Oh, I've, I've heard that before. More black, so what they're saying is more black lives are lost in abortion clinics than at the hands of the police. And who is they? Like, really? Mm-hmm. These, these, are, these, are the, these are the things that people are saying. So that's why it's just like, mm-hmm. I, I, can you, I'm sorry, that eye roll was not audible. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's just pure, just stupidity. Okay. Exactly. Okay. All right. <sighs> okay. Slavery ended more than 150 years ago. The civil rights movement. I know the civil rights movement was decades ago. Why can't you just move on? Because y'all keep it current. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Florence is freaking out, but... <laughs> <laughs> but, but there she is there she is okay all right so many people are suffering for so many reasons let's not forget that we're not we're talking about us so we've been suffering so what, what's your point mm-hmm. okay great all right racist <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> mind you i do want to let you know that florence came up with these and i'm just reading <laughs> i can imagine it's not those sound like florence those sound like those came from Florence. Yes. She, I she want wants, you to know this. She this wants to see how I'm going to respond. And she just <laughs> have a field day. <laughs> yes. Okay. Racism wouldn't be an issue if Black people wouldn't stop bringing it up. You're keeping it alive by dwelling on it. What? They're keeping it alive. 
We're just responding to it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Your kids are fine. You're raising them right. They don't dress like thugs. They're so articulate. They're in private school. And your kids are trying to be just like ours. Next question. Ooh, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Really, when have you or your kids experienced racism? All the time. And right now, when you're asking me that question. Yes, ma'am. Maybe if they weren't breaking the law, this wouldn't be happening. According to the KKK? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, which is um, one of the most hardest ones to say for me. I don't see color. Then you're a bold-faced lie. Mm-hmm. Everybody sees color. Because that's what's taught in the house. And it starts in the household. It starts from the races and the way they raise their children. That's where it starts. And it's generational. And it just goes over and over and over again. They see color before we do. Yeah. It's been like we're more accepting and we're we have our arms open for everybody all the time. White people don't. They don't. They can come into our neighborhoods. We will dance, feed them to death, dance with them, play cards with them, do everything, have a good old time. We can't go in their neighborhoods and do that. Mm -hmm. Erica, you know, one of um, my kindergarten teacher. Um, her name was Mrs. Hill. And I, at that point, had lived in Sunrise, Florida. And it was a small, small um, public school. Um, but a lot of the kids there, it was their first time seeing a, a, a Black woman. And Mrs. Hill, who was my teacher, was Black. And they they had they touched their her, her face like she they said can, can we touch your face and she would say yes look I am I am human I am your teacher I am your um and I, I'm I'm here to show you that um that I'm just like you and uh she was the one who taught me about Martin Luther King for the very first time and she made it very clear to us there and there was other there was a few other black kids in the class she said if it wasn't for him and it wasn't for people like him in this world i would not be a teacher right now and me we would be in another school um and that has stuck with me ever since ever since and wow. i'm i'm so sorry that and i feel like this is going to be a continuing thing that i just keep saying over and over again but that your kids have to be in this world. And we are gonna do everything we can with this podcast to show other moms, because you're right, it does start in the home, mm -hmm. that they need to raise their children to show them that, you know what, we do see color, but because we see color, we're going to help anyone who is um, feeling alienated and unequal, because if no, not someone in this nation is not free, it's not truly freedom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so, we have to learn how to um, continue to advocate for ourselves too 
Um, I'm, I'm on campus at my kids' school. I'm, you know, they, they pretty much know how I roll. They know, you know, mm-hmm. what pushback they're going to get from me if, you know, X, Y, and Z happens. Um, even from my oldest child, I remember when Obama uh, first won, first term, and I kept her home to watch in his inauguration, kept her home from school, and she is a straight-A student, and before the end of the school day, I got an email from one of her teachers and said that her grade dropped to a D because she didn't come to school. And oh, you couldn't imagine the, the type of email. I'm an email girl, so because I don't want to talk to you on the phone because I don't want you to misstep what I have to say. So I'd rather email you so you can read it over and over and over again and send it to whoever you need to send it to. So I made sure that I, you know, I created my email so he would know exactly where I was standing, where I was coming from to the point where I was going to include the, um, the, the news people. I said, you know, we, I have no problem. I said, I have connections on, you know, the media, with the media. I said, if you do not change her grade back, how does it drop from an A to a D? Just because she didn't come to school and I called in and said that she wasn't going to be there, that's an excused absence, you know? So that was racism right there, you know? So, but you have to advocate, you know, you have to advocate. And I let them know. I said, I'm not one of these parents that you think is just sitting around and not doing anything. It's not going to respond to your email. You know, it's not going to happen. So, you know, you have to continue to advocate and you have to teach your, ch- your child, um, your children, how to advocate for themselves when, they're, when they are in those situations. Yeah, wow, 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 that's I mean, that's I have crazy. so many stories with, you know, the school and how, you know, my kid has been targeted and, you know, detentions and, and I'm, I'm okay with detentions. You know, if that's the way that you need to reprimand students, that's fine but it's the lingo that goes on those detentions, you know, which you write up because you want me to sign this and this goes in his record. You know, my son got a detention and in the description it said inappropriate behavior in the stairwell. And I sat down with the principal. I said, when someone reads that, I said, can you imagine where their mind goes? Inappropriate behavior. I said, it's the lingo that I have a problem. He didn't, he hopped up three stairs. I said, but inappropriate behavior, in the stairwell could say that he, anyone could imagine, well, maybe he pulled his pants down. Did he touch somebody? He hopped up three stairs. So say that. I said, but it's the lingo that you all try to stick on our black boys and make it seem like they're just not, they're bad people. Or they always make bad judgments. I said, you're not going to do that. And guess what? I'm not signing it. So I said, if you give it to him, it's going to go in the fireplace. But it's not going to have my signature on it. You know, so you have to, you gotta, I mean, with boys, you have to you have to go all in and you have to always be ready. You have to be attentive and you have to be guarded. It is what it is. That it is. So I feel like, so we, we got through all the questions. We got some great, so in terms of the stories with your kids, when I do write-ups and stuff like that, I will be reaching back out to you so that I can, unfortunately, I won't be able to show your face and your facial expressions in the write-up. <laughs> but that's okay. Maybe what I'll do is with the write-ups, I'll publish a picture of you where you're just with that face. <laughs> and then everything you say just follows from that. But I, I really want to thank you, Erica. I, I, 
like I said, and I, and I texted, I texted the, I, I call them the girls, not because they're young enough to be my children. <laughs> I call them the girls because, uh, I call them the girls, the team. Uh, I, I sent a text today and I was like, you know, have I told you how excited I am to have, to have Erica? Just because you are, you know, I, I, we, we moved to, we moved to Georgia, we moved into that neighborhood and I had always lived my life moving around so much with one foot out the door everywhere I was. And I got to Georgia and I said, I'm not doing that. I'm gonna, you know, I don't care if I'm here for 50 years or one year. It turns out I was there for about, you know, less than a year before I realized I was gonna have to leave. Mm -hmm. But I still, I was all in with my friendships there and you, when we left and we had to leave suddenly because, you know, we lost everything and, you just kept, you know, Erica, in case you guys, I, I didn't tell you this, Erica is a freaking Miami lunatic. Erica <laughs> will, you just, you sneeze and Erica will be like, do I need to come to Miami? <laughs> like South Beach is her. I is love her. Miami. Yes. So, but whenever Erica comes, to, she lets me know in advance. She's like, oh, I think I may be, you know, and she's she's the one who when the super bowl was in phoenix she was like okay we're gonna go and she was gonna take me and then i was the idiot who was like you know because i was still depressed and going through stupidity i got my my reservation and then i was like i'm not gonna be able to make it and i know my my kids were like carla my kids were like what is wrong with you anyway um but she's just that kind of friend and she will pick up the phone when i call even though most people these days just want to text, you know? So Erica, thank you so much for doing this. I did not doubt that you would do it, but yeah. I, thank you. But you know, this conversation can go on for hours. I mean, hours and hours. I mean, because there's so many stories, so many incidents, so many situations, but that just speaks to, you know, how much, you know, black people endure and how much we have to go through on a daily, you know, it's not just once a month or once every three months, it's every day is something, something. And it may seem small to other people, but it's a reminder of where we sit in society. It's a, it's a reminder. So, you know, this can go on for hours and hours, but I do believe we're, we're in a shift. Um, and I think we, we're making progress with things that are happening around around us, monuments going down. I think we're, we're headed in the right direction. So I'm staying hopeful. I'm staying prayerful. Um, I feel like we are the chosen people um, and, and people who know the Bible know exactly what I mean when I say that. So, you know, we are the chosen people and we, we're gonna overcome. We will. Yes, ma'am. You will. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Erica, it was an absolute pleasure to have you. It was an honor to hear your story. And um, we will definitely reach out back out to you because there, like you said, there's so much more to be to be told. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you for joining us for Through Their Mother's Eyes, Real Talk with Moms of Black Sons. We'll be back next week with another great conversation. In the meantime, don't forget to like and follow us and join the conversation on Facebook or Instagram.